novels about talking nipples and uh, <laughs> companion guides to House MD. And lockpick pornography. I mean, is that literally what that book is? It's called The Complete Lockpick Pornography, yeah. Right, but that's like, that's like this book is full of spiders. That book isn't literally full of spiders. I, I know, I know, I don't know what to, I don't know what to make of it, but, but it's a great title. Sure, that's probably why it is the title. I guess that's true. All right. So next time, Sounds next time we're going to read The Empress of Salt and Fortune and The Annual Migration of Clouds. Yes, I'm borrowing them now. They're borrowed. I cannot unborrow them. It would be impossible. That's not how libraries work. Well, you can unborrow them. I know. I'm I'm joking. Okay. Being hyperbolic. Hey, Willow. Hey, Gene. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Bookstabber. It is a most splendiferous episode of Bookstabber to be had, for sure. Celebrating the uh, the freedom to read by reading freely. That's Bookstabber. It's one of the it's one of the only freedoms we have anymore in this country. Woohoo! So you, you, what is your name again? My name is Willow Payne. I am the artist and co-writer of Library Comic and the sole proprietor of The Haunted Skull. And I'm Gene Ambaum. I just like to hang out with Willow online because she lives far, far away in a distant state. Well, by the time this episode comes out, I will not be in Florida anymore. Oh, really? Oh, that's true. Yeah, but you'll still be, you'll, yeah. you'll still be far distant from me. That's true. I'll still be on the opposite coast from you, and that is a, a sad, sad thing. I take I take your moves as being just, just, just like, it's kind of like a game of keep away. You're just staying as far away from me as physically possible, or close to it, without going over. I think Maine would be further. Yeah, I'm sure it would. So today, we are reading, or we have read... We have read. Double, Double Whammy by Carl Hyacin. Originally published in 1987. It's the first book featuring Hyacinth's recurring character, Skink, who we'll, who we'll talk about later. It was really that old. 1987. Wow. I, I, didn't, I wasn't expecting that, actually. I, I didn't look up the release date. Even, even hearing you say it's that old hurts because, you know, I was still in high school when this book <laughs> came out. I, so. I was negative three years old, so. <laughs> that really hurts. That really hurts. Hold on a minute, I've got to remove this dagger, the book-stabbing dagger from my heart. One second. <laughs> right, this is this is book-stabber. It is not remind Gene of his decrepit age. I'm looking at you with the sad look that Connor McLeod looks at uh, Roxanne Hart with after he pulls the knife from his chest when he's trying to prove he's immortal. It's very sad. It's the, it's the saddest look Christopher Lambert ever gave in a performance. If it makes you feel even worse, I feel old all the time. <laughs> It, the ripe old age of 32, I feel like my life is over. I do find it alarming, but it doesn't make me feel older. I, I, I look forward to talking to you when you are 52. This will be fantastic. Hold on, I need to move my mic closer. Okay, now it's further away from my cat. Tokyo, 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 go away. Oh, these cats, these cats are just driving me crazy. Hey, do you want to do the book talk for this insane book or should I? Yeah, let's end this uh, existential ramble. And uh, all right, so double whammy. Uh, two sentences. Follow... Two sentences. Two sentences. I'm calling for a two sentence book talk. Okay, that's fine. I can do two sentences. All right. All right. Double whammy is about our protagonist R.J. Decker, who is a photographer turned private eye 
I have to choose my words very carefully to make sure this is only two sentences. That was all in uh, parentheses. Yep. As as is this part explaining it. Anyway. <laughs> He's a photog- photographer returned private eye. This is a great start. A private eye who is hired by an incredibly wealthy industrialist to investigate the possibility of cheating going on at bass fishing tournaments throughout the American South. He rec- new sentence. <laughs> he recruits a a crazy sort of guy named Skink and a state trooper named what was it Jim Boone? What was his name? Tile. Tile. Jim Jim Tile. Jim Tile. Right. Jim Boone is a bit from a Tim and Eric sketch. So uh, it's it's been a, it's been a full month since I read this book and I have undergone COVID. So uh, <laughs> this, this is going to be the greatest, most surreal episode ever. All right. Anyway, uh, he recruits a couple of friends and in true noir fashion, things get exceedingly complicated and and some troublesome dames are thrown in his way as well. Amen. Uh and that's it. That's the whole. That's the book talk. If you like yep. noir fiction, this is a noir fiction set mostly in Florida. If, if you like noir fiction, think people in Florida are basically insane, and uh, the whole state is insanely corrupt. This book is for you. Yes, it is. Also, it is comedic. It is dark at times. It is. Uh, this is our second book in a row that is actually way way hornier than it ought to be. <laughs> it is a it is a very horny book yeah i did not like a lot of the horny parts of this book it's it's horny it's horny and kind of offensive but i i couldn't i couldn't really read how, i wasn't i wasn't terribly offended by it but i i couldn't read how offended people would be i think it's very much a book not of this time not of this moment which is which was well interesting. i think that i i don't think carl hyacin I don't think he's a misogynist, but I think that because he's writing a noir fiction that there is sort of a, like, misogyny just is part of the territory and he's playing into that genre, you know? Yeah, the only the only two, I think there's, no, there's three or four female characters, but there's two that kind of have a decent amount of stage time. One is the guy who hires Decker's sister, Lainey, who is a former fashion model who basically is use this kind of a honeypot to lure Decker in and then betray him, right? After sleeping with him. Right, right. Lainey Galt is a, what I would consider a problematic character because she only exists for sexual purposes as a kind of seductress uh, and makes some, some she, she's not a good person and she makes some not great decisions and she, it's, I, I, she's not redeemed in any way and right. a lot of the time of the novel is spent describing how great her legs look and whatnot and I don't like that and and uh, Galt's ex-wife who's now married to a chiropractor turned real estate developer I guess no no no, no. Galt is one of the sorry not, not, the not, not, not Galt Decker. sorry Decker's, F, Decker's F, ex-wife who is right this... her name is Catherine I believe yep she's still hot and horny for Decker uh yeah, this is a weird thing, is that, uh, so our protagonist has a divorce, who's divorced from his wife because he went to prison for, like, t- ten months or so, and his wife is now married to a chiropractor, and they still talk an awful lot, you know, they still seem to, to have a, an okay relationship, except that 
Decker is just constantly trying to sleep with his ex-wife again, and she's like, no, no, but then over the course of the novel, she does, I think, a couple times, and I don't, that's, I, I don't feel good about that. I don't, I don't know if she actually sleeps with him. I, I think that she, she, like, she is on the edge of getting him into bed all the time, and she's very clearly trying to seduce him, but she seems to kind of like that he still likes her. It's very weird. And then he, and then he saves her, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's such a weird, it's such a weird relationship. She's not as bad a character as, as Lainey, or not as bad a person as Lainey. Anyway, she doesn't come off as being terrible. Well, no, she's well, she's not cast as a villain. In fact, this is part of the thing I don't really like about and And it's okay. Like, I, it's not like I need characters in novels or fiction to be morally pure. That's not what I'm after. Um, but I do think that there is sort of an authorial stance that is utilizing the the women in this novel, of which there are, as I can only name these two, the, utilizing these two women as sexual props throughout the entire novel. Like, we don't really know anything about Lainey or Catherine beyond their value as sexual objects to the male characters who are the ones that have all of the agency. The, bu- the book fails the Bechdel test. Oh, absolutely. It, I mean, it fails the Bechdel test. It fails the Makamori test. Uh, you know, there's a new test. What is the, what, I can't remember what it is. What is the Makamori test? Uh, well, Makamori is one of the characters from Pacific Rim, and everyone liked her so much that they <laughs> decided that she gets to have a... She's part of a new, a new feminist fiction test wherein uh, she... She doesn't get to talk to any other women characters, but she does have a satisfying, complete story arc of her whole. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, uh, Catherine Decker does not. For, like, Fair enough. <laughs> she, she does She does help. She does help Decker. Like, Catherine helps Decker escape the police once, once he's framed. And then she helps. She kind of provides a sense of jeopardy toward the end of the book as well for him to overcome right right Right. i mean there's so many balls in the air by the end of this book i I don't even i don't even really know how to how to talk about this book other than the fact that it starts with a murder uh right for a for a murder mystery noir book i think it it's interesting in that it actually has very few balls in the air but they take a long time to resolve any of them they just kind of hang for for the majority of the novel so it's obvious from the beginning that uh, these bass fishing tournaments are one rigged. We, we know they're rigged because we have the narrator, the omniscient narrator, go to the point of the view of the people rigging them and declare to us that they're rigged. Like so, that's that's settled, right? We know that. Well, the, 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 um, I mean, that first that first murder is so strange because what's the guy's name? Clinch, Robert Clinch. He goes out. He goes out in his boat, and then uh, he dies, and his wife is not sad at all. And we find out that his hair is gone because he was pecked at by ducks, which I guess is funny. It's a weird, it's a weird detail, right? Well, the book is very humorous, and it's and and I actually found a lot of the stuff funny. I will say this: uh, in terms of writing competency, it is very well written, oh, and it does a great job of that noir sense of you know, ev- ev- there's full of one-liners. It's full of humorous comparisons and. Well, it flies right along. It's, it's, it's like it's like it's so, it's so uh, it's just it just like glides, right? Yeah, and a lot of it is sort of the humor of it. It is in large part making fun of sort of 
the weird people who do live in Florida, the middle-aged uh, conservative men and how they hate their wives. And, you know, it's if you've read Dave Barry columns, uh, right, right, right. You'll, you'll be very familiar with all of the, the people who exist in this story. Well, and it, it makes it makes more it makes fun of bass fishermen. It makes fun of everybody in the book except Decker arguably right like right i think we're meant to we're we're meant to understand that decker is he's kind of our everyman he's he's the sort of voice of sanity in all of this and he has to take the job because of the money that galt offers him to look into to look into the cheating right like galt hates the guy who keeps winning the tournaments whose name is what's his name dickie lockhart right uh, Right, Dickie Lockhart, who is uh, sponsored by a Christian television network. The Christian Outdoor Network. Correct, right. What, and so, What's the name, of his, what's the name a, of his show that I would not want to watch? What is the name of that show? Fish Fever. Uh, fish Fever. Fish that, Fever. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so a, a lot of it is just, is it, it, it's, it's interesting because all of these things are incredibly mundane, right? Like there being a Christian Outdoor Network and there being a fishing a tv show like these are not outlandish things by any means these are these are things that basically do occur in in the world that we live in uh but it's just sort of positioning in this novel to sort of remind us like hey this is weird actually like it is weird that that there would be like a christian fishing tv show but it's not Which, it's not beyond the know, realm of possibility like you, you could look it up right now is there a christian fishing tv show i don't know maybe I, I mean, I don't think that uh, Hyacinth is really inventing anything here for the other than this this murder plot, right? Or that, or and I mean, for all I know, fishing tournaments are totally rigged. I don't, I don't care one way or another because I think fishing is is stupid. <laughs> Says the lady who who doesn't eat fish. I don't know. Well, fishing for food and fishing for sport, that that's actually part of the big thing. I, I don't really mind anyone who hunts or fishes because they actually need food. That right. is the that is the correct reason to do those things. But I I really despise anyone who kills an animal because they think it's fun or is cruel to an animal because they think like putting a hook through any animal's face and then throwing it back like that's not good either don't don't do that because you're bored if you're if you're bored there's so many better things to do i i just i just love that it's like the whole the whole fishing the whole bass fishing thing seems to be one big product placement commercial to get more people into bass fishing like it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense like like the guy who gets killed at the beginning clinch is just so obsessed with bass fishing that it's more important than everything else to him in his life like he loves his boat and bass fishing more than anything else um Right. Well, when you think about it, but that's true of all, like every sport exists as like it, it is all sponsored to uh, by companies to sell stuff. Right. Like that's why we have, uh, you know, every, every football, b- the big cups, they're all named after like Doritos. Right. I, I guess I, I, I guess that we have the I guess that I don't pay. I don't feel like I pay that much attention to that stuff. So so seeing it, seeing it laid out like this is just pretty it's pretty funny. It's pretty entertaining. But it was like, what was what was the really funny thing? There was a. I don't even know if I would call it satire because it is just like it does it. It almost doesn't go far enough to be satire. Like the murder plot, I suppose, is satirical, but everything else about it is is basically just 
as it is. I mean, a lot of the stuff with the with the Christian, uh, who's the name of the of the sort of televangelist? Weeb. Right. the The Reverend Charles Weeb. Uh, I mean, that stuff is largely satirical, but also not so much that as to be unrealistic, because a big part of his act. So he's this television televangelist. And he, he gets famous. We get some backstory on him by... Uh, he does faith healing on animals in which uh, his staff uh, inject, like, baby lambs and and various farm animals with drugs that make them unable to walk at first. And then it's timed such that he does his little faith healing bit over, like, five minutes. And then suddenly the lamb can walk and is normal. And everyone goes, oh, wow. You, you sure got... Through the power of God, you sure did heal this farm animal. And we find out that he's been anesthetizing them or something, right? Isn't that isn't that the fix? Yeah, right, right. It's right. It's all chemical. It's all it's all um, BS. And but he's he's Weeb is corrupt because he's uh, partying with the ladies, including some lady in giant uh, waiters, some some naked lady who does marketing for him at one point. One of the other women in the right. Book. We <laughs> you're given a scene where he is in New Orleans. Uh, yeah, he's right. He's regularly uh, engaged with prostitutes, and he's he's clearly not a good uh, Christian individual. He is uh, a hypocrite. He is doing all of this for the money. I'm, he probably is not religious to begin with. And even worse, he's a he's a land developer who's trying to put through a crooked land deal that has to do with bass. At the end of the book, uh, he's trying to create fake right. fake lakes and create like a fishing paradise, but he can't sell the units. Uh, I, I just don't know how to even talk about this book. The, the plot is so intricate. It doesn't, uh, I mean, I mean, talking. Well, a lot of it, a lot of it isn't even plot. A lot of it is actually just, and, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing. It is pure exposition as to why these events are the way that they are, because we do get a lot of exposition about the corrupt real estate uh, economy in Florida and, through both uh, the character of the Reverend Charles Weeb and also through the character of Skink, uh, who we later discover is a former governor of Florida. Yep. Now, uh, now hiding in now hiding in Harney County, where nobody gives a damn about anything, apparently. Right. He's he's kind of this Ubermensch character that he he was a military sniper, and everybody just kind of fell in love with him. And he's the only good politician who has ever existed. Basically, he's. He was never corrupt, and everyone was trying to bribe him, and he turned them down, and he resigned from office right, uh, right. when all of his efforts to actually protect wildlife in Florida, you know, failed through due to industrialists and and money people being... And, and it, it's it's really interesting in a lot of ways. I, um, I, I found it so strange that, like, we as the reader know his entire backstory, but nobody else really places him. It's, it's so strange. Like, I think the only person who knows who he is is, is uh, Jim Tile, the state trooper, the black state trooper. Right. Um, right. Jim Tile was, was, knew him when he was running for governor, and, and Skink actually recruited him to be in his, like, the, I think that he calls him a bodyguard. But, his, uh, his protection detail or whatever it is. But, right, his detail. Well, well so, 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 so you, have, you have Decker, who, I mean, your heroes are Decker, who's like a giant linebacker of a dude. Uh, did some jail time. His dad was an FBI agent. He was a fashion photographer, then a newspaper photographer, very dedicated newspaper photographer. Then he went to jail, uh, trumped up charges. Now he's out. Now he's a PI, right? And he's not trying. He's not taking much crap from the guy who hired him, but the guy's paying him a lot of money to get the goods on. What's that guy's name? Uh, 
Lockhart, right? The host of the, fi- the host of Fish Fever. And- right. Dickie Lockhart keeps winning all of the fishing tournaments, and so he is pegged for the number one cheater. That there's just no way he can possibly win first place in all of these tournaments. Well, well, right? What's hilarious is Galt. Galt is so unformed a character that you don't really know why he cares so much. I mean, he's he's there. He's he, he clearly his he set his sister into keep track of Decker. Decker goes to Harney County, meets an, an, another newspaper man he used to know in Miami, uh, Ott Pickney, who's there. Uh, Pickney is is also a decent journalist, but has ended up here in the middle of nowhere, like the ass end of Florida. And uh, Pickney points him to Skink as a, as a fishing guide, as a, the non-union fishing guide that won't charge him outrageous amounts of money to, to take him out and show him around bass fishing. And when he goes to see Skink, Skink is like basically living in what is described as a shack, like an outhouse. Uh, we don't know until later that it's full of great books. And Skink is apparently very smart. Skink just wears a raincoat and eats uh, roadkill, and is just right. Kind of that sp- is one of his character details. He's a he basically refuses to eat anything that he doesn't kill first, and so no, he doesn't kill it. He, he, he doesn't kill it. It's just killed. He eats things that are killed. Well, well, but he's he well, he's obsessed with roadkill, but also at one point he he catches like a like a seagull. And he's like, I want, I need to cook this. Right. You right. know, he's, he, he doesn't like, at one point they're on a plane and he is upset that he cannot eat any kind of roadkill or any wild fish or bird that he has caught. <laughs> um, which I, for those of you who are, have, are reading, have read, uh, I know that part of that is, is a, an artificial upsetness that he, that he makes to get thrown off of the plane, but also, right. Uh, it's a whole thing well he does he, anyway. he he does later eat a very annoying house dog <laughs> apparently right which is like there's some weird there's some weird dog stuff in this book can we i i know this is i don't know how to talk skipping, about it. like to the very end but can we talk because i i feel like most of this novel is pretty understandable as a murder mystery noir comedy right hold on a second though because i think like I, I think it all hinges on the characters so so is skink appealing to okay. you is skink appealing to you at all like 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 decker is clearly the hero there's he has no faults like he's right well except except he has a weakness for for pretty women and for the hot ladies he, that's true and, and he has a temper problem it, his, his biggest problem is that he has bad luck right he is in very much this perfect He's this perfect man. He was he's the world's greatest photographer. He can beat up anyone in a fight. However, he can't not have sex with any woman <laughs> that offers. That's true. That, that, that's that true. is it, which is basically the same as Conan the Barbarian in the novel that we had. Oh, that's just very that's very nice. Read. That's very very nice. Very nice touch. Yeah, and, and uh what is um, what is Catherine his ex-wife calls him rage. Like the R stands for rage, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, well, because it, right, R R J rage if you put some syllables. Right. It's it's cute. It's fine. Um, so anyways, so, but right, because like a true noir protagonist, he, he has terrible luck, right? Because he, he, wa- he still wants to be with Catherine. He can't be with Catherine. He, uh, is over the course of this novel is framed for murders. He did not commit. Um, and, and well, he, even his backstory, he went to jail because, uh, some kid tried to steal his cameras and he beat up the kid to get his cameras back. And, uh, the kid was big in football or something. And the kid's dad, like, right. He was a football player and, and everyone testified that RJ was just, just some cruel older man who just beat up a kid needlessly and that no camera was ever stolen. And the court, uh, sided with the, with the other guy. So, and at, at the end of the, so, at the end of the book, he has to save Catherine, his ex-wife from, 
a homicidal person who wants to kill him, but hasn't found him yet. And what's that guy's name? Curl? Yes, Thomas Curl. So, well, that's so. Let's get to that later, I guess. Um, to answer your to answer your question, but, but his arc is great because he he's, he has to save her at the end, right? So it's it's very right. straightforward. It's very clear that he's heroic. Yeah, right. To answer your question, yeah, I like R.J. Decker except for his relationship to women. Um, did you like Did you like Skink that, as as much or no? Yes, I like. Well, no, I like Skink except for his also his relationship to women because that is a huge part of the book that I was like, why? Th- no, this shouldn't be happening. This is weird. I don't like that this is happening. I think Skink is a good comedic relief character, and then when we get the backstory, I think it makes him pretty interesting. So, as, as sort of this intelligent hermit character uh, who lives by his own set of rules, doesn't care for society, doesn't care, f- and and has these secrets that he is trying to protect. He doesn't want to be recognized as this failed governor of Florida, um, who o- only failed by his own high standards, really. I, th- I Yeah, I think Skink is a good character. I think it's weird when Skink also is seduced by uh, Lainey Galt, and that scene is described way too much. Um, And also including, at that point in the novel, Skink has lost one of his eyes because a bunch of kids beat him up thinking that he was uh, a homeless guy. And and so he loses an eye in 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 a random fight and then replaces it with a taxidermy ally that is described a lot <laughs> a lot a lot onward. yes yes very often yes and, and used for com- used for comedic effect later it's one of these things where it's obviously there to because carl heisen thought it was funny i don't i don't agree that it's funny i i do think it's weird there, there's a lot of stuff in this book that falls into a weird category that I think made the author laugh. Well, I think that, I'm sure it makes somebody else laugh. I think that's enough because it's funny. It's funny when the, uh, the faith healing, like skink gets kind of rounded up because the reverend pe- reverence people thinks he's, think he's a homeless guy and he's taken to, to be the subject of a fake faith healing and for, for cash. And he, it goes awry because of skink. Right. And especially because of his eye. So, it, it, it's funny enough, but it's it's yeah, I agree with you. Like like I think Heisen's just making himself laugh, which is great. <laughs> like like I love that. It's so it's so weird sometimes though that I don't know I don't quite know <laughs> what what my relationship is to this. Yeah, that I feel the same. I think we're weirdly simpatico on this. Yeah, book, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is which is unusual for us. Although I maybe we've become more so over the past several books. I feel like we, I think so. we've really. We've really bridged a gap here. <laughs> well, I, I really like Skink. I, I, I liked Skink more when he was cooking that dog because I hated that dog. I hate those <laughs> kind of lap dog, purse dog, annoying things that bite at your ankles. And when it just disappears and you see Skink roasting it outside. <laughs> well, that is, th- that's one of those weird things is because the this story it is kind of needlessly callous in a lot of ways. And I don't, I don't say that as a, as a criticism, really, just as an observation, that like when Skink kills this chiropractor's dog, the the new husband of of Catherine, like n- nobody treats this as as you would in the real world, right? Nobody says, "Oh my God, you've killed a dog! Why you monster?" They just kind of shrug and they go, "Yeah, that's Skink for you. Oh well." Like, well, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, that is very weird. There's a few other points where it's like. 
it felt it felt a little callous, but not quite. Like uh, Jim Tile is one of the only black um, state troopers in Florida, and he faces a lot of racism for that. And Al Garcia, who's a I think he's a Miami detective. Right, he's, a, he, he's a, a friend of R.J. Decker who becomes involved in this case after R.J. gets framed for a murder. Right, he goes to arrest Decker, and that that kind of kicks off a whole bunch of weird moments. And, but, but 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 Garcia and but Garcia, Garcia and Tile end up yeah. kind of teaming up together, and and they're trying to kind of deal with the murders that have taken place to, toward the end of the book. Like I think there's three murders by then, and. Um, they're they're basically in the final bass fishing tournament, this giant stakes Dicky Lockhart uh, bass fishing tournament, and um, they face so much racism from all quarters, which which has been touched on all throughout the book. But the way the way those like r- those scenes are are written, like the language is super stark to me in a way that the rest of the book doesn't feel like, and I think that's more because of the time than not. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, like just I, just casually no, writing people being racist was so strange to me. Right. I I mean, it's it's interesting. Right. I I don't think that racism is ever played for laughs. I think it is. I, I mean, I think it's represented accurately, and it's it's an interesting thing to throw into this book that is otherwise kind of a dumb comedy about uh, bass fishing in the form of a murder mystery noir, right? Um, and, 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 and I'm all for it. It, it, it takes a kind of blazing saddles approach, except that in where blazing saddles sort of uses like Looney Tunes comedy in addition to social commentary, this part is just the social commentary. And then the things in this novel that are sort of Looney Tunes absurdity are, are like nowhere to nowhere near this part of the novel. Right. Right, right, right. But, but it does, it does, it does portray the racists as super ignorant and they lose in the end right like like but it's right well they're i mean they're they, i i would say they're more hateful than ignorant they're 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 ignorant we we can assume that they're ignorant because they are you know bass fishermen engaged in a tournament who care so deeply about it but like they i think it's very obvious from because there's a scene where uh jim tyle and el garcia are sharing a hotel room and the entire time their phone is just ringing from these other fishermen who who got their information from the from the hotel desk and they're just calling to call them slurs and to say the you know terrible things to them uh, and so like there's nothing funny about that well, 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 right? but, but, but I'll, I'll tell you what i think is what i think is weird is i, I think hyacinth's tone makes it clear that the guys on the phone think they're being funny do, do you know what i mean Maybe I didn't get that part, but you know that's an interest. That's a really interesting um, idea, and that you might be right there. I, I think that's what it felt like to me. That they felt like they felt like they were very amusing to themselves. I think he captures that, and I think that um, I, I like like I don't know like like there's some of this in like uh, older Elmore Leonard novels too, you know, um, like especially his uh, Western novels, which I've read a couple of, where, where people are just very casually racist. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's funny, but it feels like it's very conversational because Leonard was so good at writing conversation. And I think... Well, and that, and that captures something... I mean, that captures a lot about real-world racism where white people, when they, when they are being racist towards minority groups, you know, they will say something that to them seems like a great idea to say right why wouldn't i say this awful thing to this person 
and and you know yeah i as someone who doesn't doesn't uh feel that way as someone who does not it does not think that saying mean things to uh to minorities is a good idea like it is i i see it as a horrifying thing but that that's an interesting nuance but i think i think in a book where so so many of the details are comedic it, it it's 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 weird. It's not, it's not, I'm not saying it's exactly problematic, but I bet some people would have a problem with it. And so that would like, as a librarian, that would hold me up a little bit from recommending this book to people. You know what I mean? Right. It sure it's there. Casual racism is featured in the book. It is not uh, portrayed as benevolent or heroic. It is not, uh, it is not representative of the author's beliefs but it is portray it is portraying a thing that semi realistic at the very least. Well, and I think I think I think the fact that Hyacin literally makes uh, Tile and Garcia win at the end of the book, right? <laughs> like, like is kind of is kind of his last statement on the matter. But it's all it's all just like because of the corruption and everything else that's gone on in the book. There's so many things going on that it's it's it, it, it's unclear what's meant, except for the the moral guys should win at the end, right? And the moral guys right. all do it's... win at the end, so. Right. I think it's pretty obvious reading this that Carl Hyacin does not have a problem, is is not racist towards uh, black people or, or Latino people. Uh, I, I think it's uh, dubious <laughs> in 1987 uh, how he feels towards uh, women. Um, but I but it, it's not so bad as to suggest that he is, uh, you know, unredeemable no no I, I i i'm not putting any of that on hyacinth I, I just think it's it's um again a novel of its time I, I think he's kind of exposing attitudes more than anything else but in in doing that i don't know with, with something I, I guess that is taken more seriously by by folks these days like like i'm not sure i'm not sure how this novel plays right now i i, I don't think it would be qu- quite written like this um, I did love, uh, well, there is a guy, there is one bass fisherman, one pro bass fisherman. He's uh, the host of a rival show. His name's Ed Sperling, and he is moral. He doesn't like cheating. Uh, he kind of comes comes into focus in the book later on. Uh, what I love is the, there, there's some details about this strange fishing stuff that they use, like this bait, like these chemicals they put on. Uh, I've got to read some of these. The, there are three, three, uh, that, oh right, there's fi- fish musk or whatever. Yeah, it's, right? it's fish musk. There's bass bolero, mackerel musk, and catfish cum, <laughs> which is just yeah. That one is pretty. Uh... <laughs> when I got to when, when that one was said, I I was I, and and is being said right now. I'm I'm closing my eyes and like oh boy, that's a terrible image. <laughs> when I got to when I got to I when sure I got the catfish cum, I was like oh, the bass blasters classic sponsored That's by right. sponsored by catfish come okay all right while we're uh while, while we're rattling down uh trigger warnings there is also a transphobic uh term used uh in the scene where dickie lockhart and reverend charles weeb are in new orleans yeah i uh, I, I put that in the same in the same category as the kind of racism right it, it, it's it's tossed right. off but it's also it's also tossed off in a way that's I think would be amusing to some people. Do you know what well, I mean? Well, I I wouldn't call it amusing. I think that uh, it is indicative because even though it's sort of a third person omniscient, I during that chapter we are following around Dickie Lockhart, and I think we're probably meant to believe that that is the way that Dickie feels towards the the women that he is uh, uh, 
maligning in his thoughts. Uh, I, I, I 100% believe that, yeah. But, but also, in the year 1987, it's not as if uh, America had a great understanding of, of trans identities as a whole, and so I wouldn't be surprised if Carl Hyacinth was uh, uninformed and, you know, didn't didn't have a, a great opinion one way or another. Um, I, I'm not holding that against him, you know, for for a book written in 1987 by any means. Yeah, that was that was something else that I I uh, have written down here in my notes. Just, though. just, just while we're while we're getting these things out of the way. <laughs> Is there anything else like that? I, I think that's it. I think the racism and the kind of transphobia in that moment. But but I don't think right. It's literally it's literally just one word. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's it's not a it's not a focal point. No, I mean, I think that, uh, and it's interesting that the racism in the book is sort of located squarely in this in this one section towards the end. Like, obviously, we, we do get Jim Tile's backstory a little bit. It's not very long. That is, you know, his backstory is, I'm a black guy in Florida who became a, a state trooper and nobody likes me, um, which is, you know, I don't know if that really requires a trigger warning it is sort of just a statement on the reality, right, of that situation. I guess. I mean, I I've never been a state trooper in Florida. Like, like this is what I know of being a state trooper in Florida, right? Right. I mean, it's probably, it, you know, nowadays I'm sure it's very different. Um, although maybe, well, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I I I am not in law enforcement. I don't want to be in law enforcement for. Uh, just in case anyone out there is wondering, we at the Bookstabber Podcast believe that uh, Black Lives Matter, that trans rights are human rights, and abortion is healthcare. That's the. That's the thing. I, I think it bears saying. Sure, sure. I um, yeah. I don't, I don't know where to go with this. I mean, the end I thought was satisfying. Uh, the real villains are real estate developers and rich people. Yeah, it is. It's an anti-capitalist book. It. it you. It's funny because. Uh, I was talking about RoboCop with somebody last night and they were immediately against the idea of RoboCop because it was because by it existing, it's it is pro cop. Um, and I was like, well, it is it is pro cop, but it is anti-capitalist. And so I feel like that's pretty cool. And and I feel like this book is actually very much the same because two of our protagonists are law enforcement officers. But it, the book is saying that. Hey, industrialists and landowners uh, are destroying nature and are committing murders to make more money. Like they suck, and I stand by that statement. I stand by that sentiment. I, I wonder how much pro kind of environmentalism runs through Hyacinth's books. I, I assume a lot, just based on the few that I've read. Right. Well, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, he wrote uh, a young adult Hoot. novel. Hoot. Yes, I, I read Hoot as a child, and Hoot is a, entirely an environmentalist yeah, yeah. story. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sure Carl Hyacin is 100, uh, percent you know, an environmentalist. It's clearly very important to him through these through his writing. Did you did you ever read the Xanth novels by Piers Anthony? Yeah, yeah. No, I haven't. It, it occurred to me as I was reading this that Piers Anthony is the only other identifiably like Floridian author besides Dave Barry <laughs> that I've read along with Carl right. Heisen. And it's so strange. I, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, you know that I, I, I had no idea that Piers Anthony was Floridian. Um, well, and it's interesting. So like I had only really read Hoot of Carl Hyacinth's work. I'm sure this house that I'm living in is, has several other Carl Hyacinth books I could be picking up. 
Um, I, as a child and as a young teenager, I loved Dave Barry. Dave Barry was everywhere in this household. I used to love his newspaper um, columns. I used to read those in the newspaper, in the actual newspaper that my grandmother got. And I, you know, I, I honestly don't know if I want to revisit Dave Barry because I'm afraid. <laughs> like, I, it's not, it's not afraid in that. Oh, it turns out Dave Barry was super racist because I don't think that no, is the no, case. No, 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 no. Um, although. The, he does represent a lot of that baby boomer aesthetic of like if you if you and your wife don't get along you can always poison her like the weird boomer humor kind of stuff um that we have often been accused of in library comics i read his i read his uh peter pan novels they're they're really good i really enjoyed them back in the day oh i had i haven't heard about this i because i haven't read anything from him from since like 2002 yeah he wrote some ya novels probably probably right around that time maybe maybe slightly before and after that because it was when i was a ya librarian um Hmm. but yeah they they were good stuff i think he's written a few adult novels too i could be wrong i'm i'm gonna have to go investigate i read uh i've read big trouble which then got turned into the tim allen uh jason lee movie oh that that is an adult Um, novel yeah so he did write a few okay yeah um i'll have to check out that peter pan thing that that seems interesting but part of the reason i don't want to return to day barry is because i'm just afraid that it's not going to be funny anymore because it's just kind of basic like setup joke revolving around boogers and uh and and weird dogs <laughs> he doesn't have as weird a dog That's... moment as, as this oh we didn't talk about the other dog thing in this book <laughs> yeah no this, so this is this is maybe the biggest thing for me in this book that everything else in this book i comprehend i can partition i can i can store it away in my mind palace but so there's this entire thing that doesn't happen until late in the novel yes yeah, like three quarters where... of the way through maybe two thirds of the way so through. there's there's a hired there's a hired gun um at the at the in the half later half of the novel it is revealed that the guy who hired rj decker is not a good guy surprise surprise um i'm blanking on his name but uh galt Galt. uh, something galt uh uh uh, dennis galt so so he is responsible for framing rj decker for other murders he this, this plot becomes a bit tangled and so as to prevent any possibility of, of R.J. Decker proving his innocence, he has hired a, a country bumpkin named Thomas Curl to go out and and kill R.J. Decker. Well, well no, presumably Cur- any other. Curl wants revenge for his brother's death. His Curl's brother dies in the course of the book. Right, but they well, but he but he is also a, a hired goon. Right, it's, right, right. I, it's 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 both. Both are equally true. Um, right. So Thomas Curl does also want revenge for the death of his brother. And he's not a smart man. No, he, he's a he's a real kind of loser in many ways. But so <laughs> he goes on this long journey of revenge that involves trying to dig up information on Decker's past. So he's going to he's going to go after his ex-wife. He's he's going to go after his friends. He he originally goes to R.J. Decker's um, trailer. Right. His his trailer um in a trailer park where rj isn't there because he hasn't been there the entire novel and the the neighbor has a pit bull i believe uh who attacks thomas and i'm not exactly sure how because it's written in an odd way well let me quite obvious let me explain it to you so the dog latches onto his arm um and won't let go and and thomas kills the dog 
I can't remember right. exactly how he kills the dog. And then the dog still won't let go. So Thomas does the only logical thing. He finds a hacksaw and he cuts the dog's head off, leaving it attached to his arm, giving him blood poisoning for the rest of the novel. So he slowly deteriorates and goes more insane <laughs> as the novel right. progresses. It, but he, it makes so little sense and is such a biz- and they it, it the novel focuses on this oh my God. every every it, time Thomas Curl shows up, which is frequently the state of and color of the pus leaking from his arm and eyes and and the way his tongue is swollen and the way his eyes are bugging out of his head is all described in great detail <laughs> um right it becomes this bizarre like obviously it's for it it, it is gruesome and it is for comedic effect it is so but gross. it's it's so like if this were in a mel brooks movie like even this is too bizarre because part of it is that thomas curl is like he becomes obsessed with the dog head in a, in a way that like like he has a he invents a new name for it right, and, right. and and it's talking to him it's whispering things it's intelligent to him and everyone is just sort of obs- and like sure he's he's he wasn't a smart man to begin with and he's and he's going insane my one my one takeaway from this was like in the 80s carl hyacin was a cat lover <laughs> the cat guy that's it <laughs> no dogs right there are two two do- that uh, that should go in the trigger warnings as well there is uh two dogs die and, and violence towards dogs I, in in a similar vein there's also a weird detail that um so skink has a pet bass oh god he he uses in the in the big final fishing tournament as as bait for the cheaters because but <laughs> The, 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 god it's such a this is that made no that made no sense the, the, the bass part at the end made very little sense to me i have to say but but there's this giant bass that's right. like out there somewhere i don't know we're, we're meant to understand that this bass is like the biggest bass who has ever lived it's yeah. like 30 pounds or something um <laughs> it, it is a it is a monstrosity it's a monstrous bass and, <laughs> that's a lot of bass <laughs> but but also so one of the I, you know, you have to suspend your disbelief for, for several portions of this novel. Like one of which is that this land development, um, that Charles Weeb has invested in because he's trying to make fancy houses. He, he, he's trying to make this neighborhood there. He could sell these houses based on the appeal to bass fishermen, which is why he calls it Lunker Lakes. And so, but he, there are no, there aren't actual lakes there. He has to artificially make them, uh, and they're just totally disgusting, polluted water. There's too much phosphorus in it, I think. Uh, and so it's immediately poison to all of the fish that he tries to import into it. And so the fishing tournament that he is trying to host at the end of the book is is a failure from the start because there are no fish. He can't make there be fish. Um, and they're used to they're used to planting dead fish in actual lakes uh, for the purposes of fishermen just pulling them out when no one is looking mm-hmm. and saying that they caught them but that's almost not even feasible here because the water is just so bad anyway but one of the details that i don't quite believe is that uh lunker lakes in fiction is bordering directly next to the everglades um and and that all that's separating them as commented on by skink is like something like a five foot like concrete divider or something and i just like i don't think that's how that works at all like yeah, I, don't I admit know. i haven't been to the everglades but one the everglades is pretty large 
and two, it doesn't really make sense. Like, it, 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 if if water was going to be, if you were going to start doing all this construction digging next to the Everglades, it would one of two things would happen. Either one, it would pollute the Everglades, which would be a tragedy, or two, which is in many ways more likely, I think, water overflowing from the Everglades would seep into the your new man-made lake, and it would probably be fine actually because it's not like the it's not like the soil neighboring the everglades is poisoned. <laughs> here's the uh, here's the the quote from cory doctorow on carl heisen's website as floridian as a styrofoam snowman despoiling the everglades <laughs> cory doctorow isn't that great right <laughs> Well, so as a as a native Floridian, this is something interesting that I've had to think about. Is because other than like other than just naming Kissimmee and and Wikiwachi and naming all of the places there in Florida, I was trying to ascertain like what makes this uniquely Floridian. Like, so okay, we have a bunch of characters who are, you know, big fat guys from the South who love fishing. But like that's I don't see that as being uh, that that in of itself I feel like probably exists in in probably equal parts in Georgia Alabama Missouri like that I don't find to be terribly unique to Florida as a concept right I don't know I yeah uh... I mean the the parts of the novel that are set in Miami which are mostly R J Decker's backstory like sure Miami is kind of an interesting city in that it's kind of cosmopolitan it's it's got uh i mean it, it i say this but it's really not that different from most american cities in that you know obviously there are very rich people there are very poor people there's people from all walks of life it's you know I, the most interesting thing about miami is probably the that it is the american city that has uh an incredibly high population of south americans from various countries and in that sense it is more diverse than uh a lot of places but yeah i don't know um i don't know that maybe i'm too close to it being floridian maybe i cannot see what makes like you as someone who is not floridian maybe you can identify these parts better than i can well i i i'm so far away i can't tell what's true and what's not true do you know what i mean Oh sure, sure. Like 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 so I just take it as like a, a kind of fun book and I don't know I don't know the truth of it enough to I I mean I'll say that nothing other than the parts of this book that fall into sort of Looney Tunes absurdity like severed dog heads and uh most of the things about Skink's character um I would say that nothing about this feels like it couldn't wouldn't be happening like it isn't it you know e- even the stuff about uh charles weeb and and the fishing tournaments like that all feels pretty real to me it, ob- obviously it's uh you know it's cast in a dismissive satirical light but that doesn't make it uh untrue right well you, you didn't you didn't grow up playing video games or or, you, or like like coin op video games right or did you did you go to arcades and uh, stuff some of yeah, well, arcades were kind of a weird situation. Like when when I was a child, there were ac- there were coin op machines located in bowling alleys and in um, like a skating rink, which is a relic of the past as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and occasionally certain restaurants, like uh, family family sports bar kind of places, there were lots of uh, coin operated. Well, did you, did, so did you I, ever I did, did you ever play I, any of the bass fishing games? 
the coin up bass fishing games? Oh no! Oh, insanity! Well, no, because you, you you'd have to be an idiot to do that. <laughs> well, well, but 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 they were present. Like I've seen many, and I've seen many a uh, big game hunter. You know. Oh, I love big game hunter or a deer hu- deer hunter uh, arcade machines, which equally I just find absurd as to like <laughs> why why is this your fantasy? Why is this the thing that you want to you, it, in a video game where you could be a wizard or a space marine you decide to be a redneck with a gun like that's a terrible fantasy i'm gonna fish i'm gonna fish for bass i i like the shooting games i I, I don't i don't have any fantasy about shooting an animal but i but i enjoy those uh i enjoy those games somehow i remember i remember visiting my my uncle in texas when i was young and being at his house and uh he he had a computer that had like three video games on it, and one of them was a was a bass fishing game because like that's the guy he was. Like he's like I can't always go bass fishing, so I have the bass fishing video game. You know that's hilarious. Is very yeah. <laughs> that's absolutely hilarious. <sighs> well, I it looks like Skink appears in one of Carl Hyacinth's books for young readers. Uh, there's a book called Skink No Surrender, <laughs> which is I well <laughs> which bears investigation. So I have wait, to say. So the book is actually all about him. I have. No, it's I'm not, so it, curious. That's no, not about him. There's some teens in it too, but but Skink also makes an appearance. Skink making an appearance well, in a YA to, novel means I have to read this book. <laughs> I mean, you have to one. You have to wonder if that occurs before or after this, because how much are they going to describe his his taxidermied owl eye? Well, there is like, there is in the uh, the little blurb about the book. They do mention his his one eye, so it's got to be after this. So okay, I'm very right. I'm very that's, excited. Do you think maybe by that point he just wears an eye patch and doesn't like maybe he's normalized a little bit? I will report back. <laughs> I I'm I'm counting on it. I I would love to know. Ask me in a year or two, or I'll try to remember when I when I finally read this book. Uh, well, we we got a lot more out of this discussion than I than I thought we were going to. Honestly, I I was afraid this one was going to be kind of a. Uh... We did. I, I can't. I apparently you and I can talk talk for an hour about anything. It's uh it's good. It's good to know. So next, what's up for next time? So we've decided on two novellas, right? Yes, we have talked. We are talking about two novellas next time on Bookstabber Podcast. Uh, one of them is the Annual Migration of Clouds by Premi Mohammed, or is it Mohammed Premi? Premi Mohammed. Mohammed. And uh, then we're going to also do the Empress of Salt and Fortune by first name is N G H I, last name is Vo V O. Um, so, so two novellas in the fantasy science fiction realm. Um, I'm very excited about this. I love novellas. I love that length of book. Uh, I'm very happy that you agreed to this. So thank you. I mean, I, I prefer short to long. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's fine. I've never once read a novella and been like, oh, this length, it disgusts me. Oh, well, it, it, it's, an, it's uh, what I don't like about short stories sometimes is there isn't enough space to really... Um, make things clear it feels like it feels like people are taking some kind of shortcut away from making things clear but novellas feels like just enough i don't want to say explainers because it doesn't have to be an explainer but just just there's enough scenes to make things clear enough for me to the extent that i want well if you like uh comics that are 10 pages and almost always less i do you should probably go you should go read the haunted skull at <laughs> www.hauntedskull.com you totally should made by me it's so good. I, I I promised already that the by by the time this comes out that the 
one that you and I co-wrote together would be up, but uh, I lied. But well, it'll be uh, it. It probably will be up by the time this one actually comes out. By the time that I have moved and everything. Well, it's drawn, right? So, I've I've seen it. You show me the pages. It's it's so funny. Yeah, no, it's it's drawn. I, I just got shuffled around in my own release schedule uh, because I have a weird sense of aesthetic when it comes to the order in which the stories come out gotcha gotcha okay well i'm excited i'm excited to see that i'm excited for that to be up uh and i'm excited to do this again we'll talk in three weeks all right uh everyone out there if you would like to suggest a book for bookstabber and i hope you do you should write in to bookstabberpodcast at gmail.com that's great um i think that's correct i think that's right i think that's right oh we forgot the spoiler warning at the beginning of this people i guess it's obvious enough well yeah i sure hope people know that this thing is full of spoilers by now one thing i have to say is i looked at a bunch of different book covers for uh double whammy which i read as an ebook it, it's it's really funny to see like there's one that just has like a giant bass looking at you out from the cover but there's one that's like it's like a hook with like a dollar bill for bait which seems like a better design I, I, you know actually that's something that i wanted to ask you on this podcast why is this book called double whammy because it's uh it's dicky lockhart's it's his special bait that he's won all of the bass fishing tournaments with but that doesn't but that, but that doesn't make like I, I'm expecting it to have a, a meaning like a double entendre in the like it I I'm I'm sure it's something that bass fishermen say but like there's nothing about this novel that has double anything really right like it's I not totally like agree. there was only it's not like there were two murders there were more than two murders it's not like there's uh, a case of missing identity right there's i can't think of any reason why the book is actually called double whammy and so i was hoping that you knew something i didn't but if that's the only reason i am disappointed well there probably is something but i am not smart enough to say <laughs> <laughs> let's leave okay, let's leave I it do- there Either either we're dumb or Carl Eisen is. You decide, America. I'm willing to say we're dumb, but that's just me. All right, signing off. Talk to you later. Keep stabbing.